0: Thank you for tuning into the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Miles for the piles, brother. How are you doing, my fellow outdoor world lovers? Hope you guys are doing really well. Hope you're on cloud nine like I am right now because your stack of sheds is growing and you're enjoying the fresh air and the wonderful spring weather that we're enjoying here in the great state of Iowa and that's right my shed pile for 2021 is growing it's been my best shed year so far and we still have another month left to go and I still have plenty of prime ground yet to search and man am I having a blast and uh, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit at the end of this episode but the main Part of this episode is going to be about hunting whitetails in the tiniest state of all 50, good old Rhode Island. And uh, if you're like me, you might be scratching your head a little bit and be like, they have deer there to hunt? They have places where you can hunt? Yes, even though it is a small state, as you are going to learn in this episode of the podcast, it is possibly one of the most diverse hunting states in all 50 of our states not because they necessarily have a whole bunch of different species to chase after but just the landscape is very diverse they're called the ocean state and yet here you are chasing uh, bucks you know feeding on acorns like you would down south or something you know it's just a just an incredible episode here interviewing ryan and dan from rhode island whitetails and i think you'll agree with me but before we get to that, we're going to start shifting things around a little bit with the podcast. I think it's good to change things up every now and then. You know, uh, I think some things you need to keep the same because if you're like me and you have your list of favorite podcasts, hopefully this one's on there, uh, but you get accustomed to some things and you just enjoy them. There's things about that that you like. And so I'll try to keep a lot of it the same, but uh, one of the things I'm going to start switching up now that we're uh, starting to run some ads and, and things like that, which is a good thing. And I really hope you are checking out those uh, sponsorships. That really helps uh, me with, uh, you know, putting the stuff together to be able to uh, uh, be collaborating with these great partners and and uh, um, you know, hopefully set, sending you guys towards some great products that uh, uh, I feel comfortable advertising here. But because of those breakups in each episode now, and uh, I, I know that can maybe uh, kind of break up your, your uh, thought as you're uh, you know, thinking about what's being talked about or whatever, your listening experience a little bit, and uh, I don't want to add another break into the uh, episode uh, with the tip of the day. And so what I'm gonna try to start doing is at the end of our normal intro time that we're doing like right now, I'm going to add the tip of the day in there. You may have noticed that last week in the Cole Young episode, I did not include a tip of the day. The reason for that was that was a pretty long episode, well over uh, two hours. And uh, I didn't want to uh, stretch that out any longer than what already was. Plus, man, the number of tips Cole put into that episode, Uh, It's just crazy, and I hope that you were able to pick up a lot of great stuff from him there. Uh, And so, with that being said, today's tip of the day that I'm going to put in is very much shed hunting related. And I may have even mentioned some of these tips in other uh, shed hunting episodes, but I'm going to add them into this one with great emphasis because I, as I've said, I'm having my best shed year yet, and uh, as a fellow, first-gen hunter if that's you or maybe somebody who's just starting to get into shed hunting a little bit for the first time or maybe you're a seasoned vet and uh, you just want to you know pick up a few more I think you can all learn from this tip as I have this year as I've seen it play out before my eyes and that tip really includes two things first of all prioritize southern exposure okay that is I, I, I can't believe it but I actually saw a, a big name In uh, the whitetail world on his YouTube channel say that that's bogus that the southern exposure stuff doesn't matter and I'm telling you I've seen it play out before my eyes and the uh, two best shed hunters that I know out there and I would be willing to put up against any anyone else who thinks they know how to find sheds and say okay uh, beat this guy and uh, I don't think they would and uh both of those guys are they are huge believers in uh southern exposure one of those guys by the way um who I'm hoping to get on uh for another interview before uh shed season's over this year i was just talking to him the, this was actually the very first thing he told me when i was just talking to him on the phone last night uh, he Uh, found 33 sheds this weekend yes 33 and uh, the other two people that were shed hunting with him one of them found six and the other person found one he found 33 incredible Uh, he says really prioritize that southern exposure and uh, the deer just during the time of the year when they're shedding and especially on this year where we had some of those really cold temperatures right during Kind of the lead up to prime shed season uh, these deer were really seeking out the the best you know thermal advantageous ground and sitting there soaking up the sun's rays was the best they can do so you should start out especially this year and here in the midwest looking for those southern exposure areas and uh you know maybe even a little southwest exposure you know that's okay too but but really the the most direct sunlight that they're going to get up through the warmest time of the day hit that area first then the next thing that i'm starting to find especially um, as it pertains to finding uh, some bigger antlers is find the areas and you're actually going to hear this mentioned in this podcast by our friends ryan and dan from uh, rhode island whitetails and i think it's just a phenomenal tip and uh, something that we've talked about in the past on here but to find uh maybe some of the bigger antlers now this isn't always going to be true you can't anything that we say with shed hunting has to be done under the understanding that you know a lot of it has to do with uh just (laughs) the luck of wherever that antler falls off but but again to increase your odds look for the parts of the farm again first southern exposure then secondly farthest away from human intrusion or activity just uh, where these mature bucks know that they're going to be safest and left alone the most i have found that if you mix those two things together um that, that just kind of leads to some better odds and i, I think uh um, that would go well in line with what people who know far more about shed hunting than i do and have found far more sheds than i do uh they would agree with that and so uh, mix those two things together as you uh, continue out through this remaining uh, month or so depending on where you are at in the country i know you guys down south probably have a, a little bit different shed season than what we do just based on uh, deer biology according to your area but um as you kind of stretch that out be uh, really prioritizing those two things i think you'll have better luck shed hunting so anyways we're going to get on now to the episode here with ryan and dan from rhode island whitetails and like i was just saying a few minutes ago it's an excellent episode it gives us a lot of insight into hunting in the smallest state of the uh, good old us of a so stay tuned here to episode 45 of the first gen hunter podcast For anyone who met their spouse in college like I did, there is always the chance that the person you have taken a fancy to is going to live in the suburbs of Timbuktu. And I remember bracing myself as I asked my future wife where her and her kin hailed from. She said New Hampshire. And I was like, great, so I won't need a passport when I go to visit the family. But where on earth is... New Hampshire. I knew it was in America, of course, and uh, I definitely had heard about it. You know, we learned the uh, "50 States" song in grade school, but where was this place? And uh, you know, I started running my brain there for a second after she told me. I was like, you know, what has that word "new" in front of it? You know, New Hampshire. I was like, I bet it's part of New England. And so I mustered up the courage and uh, made the uh, and started down the path of the typical uncultured midwestern gaff and i said oh new hampshire that's in new england right and she was like yep it's in new england i was like oh okay so like connecticut and vermont and then i said it i said the most insulting thing to a new englander to a true new englander i said and new york and with the subtlety of a cannon being touched off in the Boston Harbor, I was immediately educated on my mistake and the fact that New York is not considered to be a part of New England. Why do I bring all this about? Well, I'm hoping that I can save you from the same awkward situation that I was in, but also because we are talking to A group of guys who are representing one of the true New England states, and that is the southernmost, the tiniest, the last of the OG-13 original colonies to join statehood, I believe. And that is the state of Rhode Island. With me tonight are Ryan Gilman and Dan Pierce of Rhode Island Whitetails. Thanks so much for joining the show tonight, gents.
1: Thanks for having us, Ken. Definitely appreciate being here.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, do you guys get offended with the New York thing when you hear that from uh, people who have no idea what they're talking
2: about?
1: <laughs> Not so much. Um, I mean, you kind of get more offended when they say that we're the smallest state, I and mean, they don't even know what Rhode Island is. They're like, "Well, maybe I get more offended by that than the New York thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. I, you guys have kind of a unique. You know, a unique reputation in the fact that you are the smallest state. But actually, you know, the the co host who would normally be on the show tonight but he had a other obligation tonight, he's from the second smallest state. He's from Delaware. And I always I always have to like Google that to make sure, okay, it's it's Rhode Island that's the smallest, right? Not not Delaware. And right. uh, but I think it's gotta be pretty close, right?
1: I think it is like I've, I've driven through Delaware. I think it takes the same amount of time to drive through Delaware as it does through Rhode Island, like less than an hour. (laughs)
0: Wow. That is, that is nuts, man. When I, when I go on my uh, big hunting, uh, deer hunting trips every year here in Iowa, I got to drive across the state and it takes me, uh, almost five hours to get to the, and I still, you know, I'm still not on the border yet at that point.
1: (laughs) Wow. We have a little thing in Rhode Island. Like, we're from, me and Dan are both from Southern Rhode Island. So it's Sure. South County is what we call it. And people from South County don't even like driving out of South County. Like, oh, we have to go to Providence, which is our capital. Like, no way. I'm not driving 45 minutes to (laughs) Providence. Like, absolutely not. Like, you're nuts if you're, (laughs) I'm not driving 45 minutes. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's funny. That's really funny. Yeah. We, when, when I was uh graduate, graduating high school, my family moved, uh, and the town we moved to, uh, it was, it it was definitely out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it trophy Buckland actually, uh, just South of that town this fall on opening day in Illinois. I live in Iowa now, but in an opening day of Illinois deer season, there was a, a guy, uh, who actually was on the football team with, uh, my brother and, uh, he shot on opening day, I believe it was a 233 and some change inch buck down there just south of that town. Oh, but, yeah, I mean, just an absolute monster. But uh, the reason I bring that town up is, you know, you say 45 minutes to, to run up to Providence. That's how it was to get anywhere from that town. You had to go about 45 minutes to get to any kind of, you know, large form of civilization and you know the the difference in how people viewed that you know oh yeah just going to town but yeah, funny. Well, i know
1: people like are w- with with work commutes that are like an hour plus every day and that's normal like i can't even fathom that yeah <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I have to yeah. For 20 minutes to work like i wouldn't even consider doing that
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right yeah it's all it's all cool. relative it's all perspective it, what, whatever you end up being used to i suppose but Absolutely. Well, uh, in the spirit of figuring out what this mystery state is all about. And is that true too that you guys were the last colony to join, you know, get on board with the whole state thing?
1: Oh, man, don't quiz me on my uh, my history. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you know, I, I don't know enough about Iowa history either. I'm trying to get better about that. I'm actually uh, working through a book right now, very slowly, working through a book on all, like, the original native uh, species that were roaming Iowa around time of settlement and stuff. It's been pretty interesting. But, yeah, I can't blame you there. There's so much that I don't know about my own state. but. Anyways, we we do know that you guys know a whole lot about the hunting opportunities there in Rhode Island, and we're definitely going to get there, and we're going to do a deep dive into that, but one of the things that I think would be really helpful right here is to just paint this picture of what Rhode Island is like. So almost like a tourist guide way of doing this. You you could walk us through this, but also uh, maybe a, a tourist guide who uh, also likes to uh, fling arrows at white tails. <laughs> how would they, how would they guide us through here? So maybe just start us off by like describing the general landscape there in Rhode Island.
1: Well, it's definitely a coastal state. Um, we're dubbed the Ocean State. Um, in my perspective, I've, gr- I've grown up around the around the water my whole life, like the coast, the Southern Coast, and we're definitely a, a fishing community, like a fishing state. Um, there's a big fishing fleet out of Point Judith, Rhode sure. Island. And a fun fact about Rhode Island is it's like the it's known for our our calamari, like our squid. So oh, really? Pretty much anywhere if you eat squid. Uh, it's, it's coming from Rhode Island. It's coming into Rhode Island.
0: That's really cool. No. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of calamari. I just had some, uh, calamari for, uh, on Valentine's day. Of course. Mm -hmm. Our, our calamari, you know, has probably been on the back of a truck for like, you know, (laughs) two weeks by the time it gets to us, but
1: (laughs) You're all the way in Iowa, but I remember I was out to dinner one time with my dad in Pennsylvania, and we went to like a sushi restaurant. And we're both looking at each other, like, are we sure we want to eat sushi all the, way? Like, all the way inland? Like, are we crazy we're doing this? Like, where's the worst ocean? <laughs> i can't imagine uh, you all the way in iowa <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's definitely all uh f- uh frozen for sure um you know kind of interesting and and i suppose on topic uh, about maybe five years ago i saw something in the news and um there was a farmer i think in central illinois who uh basically gave up traditional uh, livestock breeding practices and you know so cows and 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 pigs and everything like that and uh switched all of his stuff up to raising saltwater shrimp in like his old uh confinement sheds and stuff like that he got it all set up to have all these like the saltwater pools and everything <laughs> all for the purpose of being able to provide the midwest with fresh shrimp <laughs>
1: <laughs> what were, were, were his like electric bills like, like making
0: oh like man I, yeah i can't imagine what it was and I, I mean there just had to be so many associated problems like like uh i, I gotta think his equipment probably rusted a lot so he's probably replacing stuff all the time and uh yeah just keeping the temps the water temps right and and ph i uh, man it just sounds like a nightmare to me but and i haven't heard of him since so maybe it didn't work out but but, uh, yeah, you guys definitely have the curb on the market for uh, fresh seafood. But, but we probably still beat you on the uh, sweet corn side of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah <No> doubt. definitely. <laughs>
0: I'll take calamari. Uh, I'm not, I am not. I can't fool anybody there. That's interesting, though, that the, the ocean side of things is obviously a very important part of what goes on there. And that um, maybe now for more of a hunting perspective as we kind of move that way. What's the uh, public land versus private land dynamic like?
2: Um, we do have a lot of diversity in public land. Um, anything from open fields to low beach
1: brush, we've got a lot of that. Sure. The thing is with public land too, like we don't have a lot of like a, a lot of continuous open space. Like it's right. a lot of different management areas that are like no bigger that like our biggest management area might be like 5,000 acres, which to you could be small, but to us, it's huge.
0: Um, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that would, that would be a big piece even, even in Iowa. I mean, uh, one thing about Iowa, you know, we are a pretty big state, but, um, I think we rank like 47th in, uh, the amount of public land that we have, uh, just because, you know, so much of it's tied up by, a uh, private agri you know, either family farms or, and more so unfortunately kinda of trending towards these big, you know, almost uh uh you know, just huge farming operations. But but um no, that's that's still a pretty good size there, five thousand acres. That's that's pretty good. Um I get this and this is probably just a false perception from you know, out here in Iowa. But I get the idea that a ton of Rhode Island, even though it's a small state, is very developed. Is that the case?
2: Yeah, there are quite a few neighborhoods going in and everything. And I mean, we're losing more and more land every yeah. year. But we are definitely using that to our advantage because a lot of these places abut either a nature conservancy that's huntable or a piece of management area. And we find those pockets that the deer feel safe in the back of these developments.
0: Sure. Yeah. So you're almost treating it like a urban hunting opportunity. Is that right?
2: Somewhat. Yeah. It's our own take to it, I'd say.
0: Yeah. That's... uh... I think that's a really interesting little piece there because that does make you quite a bit different than than most other States, you know, we, certainly there's urban hunting in, in most States, but, uh, there's, there's not really this dynamic where, okay, you know, I'm out here on this big piece of public, but there's town right there too. You know, there's houses over there, you know, usually they're totally out in the middle of nowhere down some mud road you know and i think that's really interesting actually that you guys have that dynamic
1: definitely but if you're asking the question like black and white if it's urban versus rural i say we're definitely more rural than we are urban like there's a lot more wooded area than you know buildings i would say in rhode island
0: sure (laughs) sure That's really interesting, man. This is this gets more and more uh, unique, and I figured it would be. I mean, just just because of where you guys are at, and you know, like we talked about, it's not a big state and so much development. But oh, that's really interesting. And I have noticed though too. I mean, honestly, before I started following you guys on Instagram, had if if somebody had said to me, or, or had asked me, hey. How would you describe Rhode Island? Well, first of all, I'd be like, well, I've never been there, but uh, I guess I would expect concrete jungle, you know, maybe a bunch of cul de sac neighborhoods. And in fact, uh, it was about a year ago, year and a half ago or so, um, I was at an antique store here in Iowa, and uh, I saw that they had this sign that said Rhode Island Farm mm-hmm. Bureau. And I was like, Rhode Island. Are there any farms in Rhode Island? Is there anywhere to farm in Rhode Island? And then when I saw your guys's page and started following, and watching your videos, I was I was amazed that there are truly some really, uh, you know, wild areas there still. So that's it's really a cool dynamic that you guys have there. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of farm to table restaurants here, um, like definitely a lot of farming um, people do their own thing here. It's great. The food here is just great. I feel privileged to, or spoiled, you just sure. better term, spoiled for how good the food is here. Sometimes take that for granted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We we can definitely do that. Yeah. that It's really interesting to hear about your state here. Now, Obviously, whitetails are going to be the main thing we're talking about, and if we had to ask what our favorite things are to hunt, um, I'm going to guess that that would probably be the case for you guys, would be whitetails, and it certainly is for myself. Um, but are there other species that that hunters can chase after there in Rhode Island?
1: Yep, we got turkeys, which uh, is another favorite of ours.
0: Uh, oh, turkey. okay, yep.
1: And something that both Dan and I haven't dabbled in, uh, yeah either is waterfowl there's a lot of waterfowl hunting sure uh, ducks um geese uh, sea ducks and i don't even want to go into that because somebody listening that's big into waterfowl <laughs> like, yeah, what is this guy talking about like i probably didn't name the species right so i'm gonna stay away from that but no, what bird hunting is is pretty big like pheasants um rabbit okay, hunting yeah. we're, we're good buddies who do the small game uh so there's like plentiful species in around the hunt for sure
0: man you guys are like the the iowa of uh new england that's all the stuff that people hunt around here too it's really cool so so uh with um the pheasant hunting is that all done on preserves or are there, do you guys have wild pheasants there to hunt
2: um, we actually have them stocked early in the season sure i'm sure some are left
1: over season to season but yeah Yeah. actually last year when me and dan were shed hunting uh, i think it might have been like march or it could have even been april uh we flushed a pheasant and we were both walking maybe 20 yards apart and dan's like oh look a pheasant!" <laughs> and, and i told somebody that and and the guy he was an avid pheasant hunter he couldn't believe that we flushed a pheasant in april he thought they they like he was amazed that it survived the winter here so i was like wow i didn't you know really think about that but i guess I guess they're not known to survive the winters after they stock them. Like, who knows? I don't know.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of debate on that. And I I do need to get somebody on here sometime on the show to kind of address that specific thing. But there's been a lot of debate on can, you know, uh, released birds hack it, essentially. And, you know, something I never thought of on that debate until recently was, I mean, pheasants are non-native to all of America you know they're they're an Asian species of bird that was I think it was first introduced in the state of Oregon so I mean the very first birds to ever establish themselves in North America were pen-released birds you know and uh like I think it was either the like 1890s or very early 1900s uh, pheasants were turned loose in Iowa. And so those were all pen release birds and we've had them now in Iowa ever since, you know, we have, we have wild birds, uh, to hunt, you know, plenty of them. Uh, so yeah, I think as long, you know, for pheasants, I think that the big thing is, uh, uh, staying warm is from what I've heard, um, at least here in Iowa, cause we have so much ag, you know, there's, there's tons of food around, but you know, if it's a real deep snow year or, um, uh, uh real icy year i think that can make it a little bit tough on them but i don't know what's the what's the winter like in rhode island do you guys get a ton of snow
1: uh right now we are um this year we're we're getting a ton of snow it's snowing right now actually oh really but um it, it seems to be like off and on like one year we'll get no snow like last year we got zero snow i think really not even all not even a snowstorm here sure. we've gotten hammered with like I think we're up to maybe 20 inches for the wow. state. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's a pretty rough wow. winter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about what we're we're probably somewhere in that ballpark here in Iowa this year. But it's like you're saying, you know, last year we had a very mild winter, which is why our pheasant numbers were so good this year. And our quail numbers were so good. And I think that uh, they're going to get absolutely hammered <laughs> this year. Yeah. I mean, just just been miserably cold, really deep snow, a lot of layers of ice. So, yeah.
1: They, they, don't, they don't, like, roost or anything, right? They're just on the ground all right. the
0: time. Right, yeah. right. And, and uh, like I said, you know, I think the, the food isn't usually too bad for them. But, you know, when you get that deep snow, I just can't imagine that it's that it's helpful at all and I plus
1: feel the, i feel bad for the turkeys now yeah never, never mind like the small birds that...
0: yeah yeah you're right yep and and uh you know what it does too is and this isn't as much of a problem for a turkey unless you're talking like a poult. but i gotta think that when there's all that snow on the ground you know that really helps mash down all the vegetation that these birds would normally kind of be seeking cover in not just for thermal cover but you know away from predators and around here the things that are really hard on pheasants are hawks you know they see those they see those pheasants down on the ground and they just they spot them so easily probably in the the snow you know and they can really they can really nail them the the pheasants and the quail for that matter
1: so there are a ton of red tailed hawks uh around here. I see one every day. I actually think about it. I'm like, oh, when am I gonna see a red tail red tailed hawk today? Normally yeah, <laughs> I see a hawk every single day. They're on the like, perched up on the branches on the highways, everything. I think there's like a crazy number of them here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well they they're probably eating on any of those straggler pheasants from the <laughs> <laughs> from the release program. <laughs> but no that's uh that's really interesting stuff there uh one, one other thing here i noticed we we're talking before the show you guys don't just call yourselves rhode island whitetails and talk about how much you love chasing whitetails you know i was worried that was i was going to be in that that boat this year until i finally uh, tagged tagged a deer in december but uh you guys kill a lot of deer (laughs) and some, some really, some really uh, good quality deer. And uh, it made me wonder what are the, what are the tag limits like there in Rhode Island?
1: You're for antler deer. uh, You're allowed to shoot two. Okay. Uh, And what's cool about it is you can shoot two with any, any weapon. So, you're allowed to you know you're allowed to buy an archery tag a muzzleloader tag and a shotgun tag but you're only allowed two bag sure. limits so you know you could shoot two with your bow or two with your muzzleloader and you know vice versa two with your shotgun so i, I think that's kind of cool that right now let's yeah. do that um but we have a couple different zones as well um i was looking prior to the sauce to talking two and it's it's definitely two bucks in in both zone one and two you're allowed um three does in one i think it's zone two and maybe two does in zone one or something like that but you're you're definitely up to like five or six deer uh you're allowed to shoot you know per year which is a lot i think
0: yeah yeah for sure certainly enough to uh feed your family for a for a year until next season that's that's really cool and then uh you know kind of the last thing i had in mind with that and uh this is me you know as a as a not as an outer stater here looking at what you guys have going on there and i really do feel like you know you guys have done a great job keeping rhode island a secret after you know following your page and seeing the kind of deer you guys are tagging and and uh and, and the proficiency that you're doing it with i mean that one drop time bucky killed dan that was something
2: oh thank you that was a buck of a lifetime
0: oh man that was a what a what a brute that was a, that was a good deer even by iowa standards that was a good deer and you know what's it like for non-residents hunting in rhode island are there many non-resident hunters that come into rhode island
1: i don't think so i, I think it's more of the opposite i think more rhode islanders are going out of state to hunt like especially huh our neighboring state of connecticut like there's a lot of open space in connecticut and and you're allowed to hunt with a rifle in connecticut so sure. I think more rhode islanders are seeking that opportunity to get out there in different states rather than more out-of-staters coming to our state so i, I think it's the opposite
0: man that you guys are in a good situation there
1: <laughs> you well know, word word has gotten out like we are a small state keep in mind. so you know people know like people know us and, and word gets out pretty quickly and uh it's like uh we we should probably keep in mind that we know we're not letting people know where we are because (laughs) i don't want want any of the locals uh getting too mad or upset about uh any any spots getting like blown up or anything
0: like that That yeah for sure man i i totally get that and my one of my most recent interviews i did i i interviewed a guy named joe shed he's up in uh, minnesota and he he wrote, as far as I know, the only book there is out there on shed hunting. Maybe there's another one by now, but I think it was the the first book ever written. And he said when he went to write that book, he had this, like, inner turmoil. He's like, do I really want to do this? I mean, this is going to hurt my shed count if I uh, start divulging all my secrets here. <laughs> But I, you know, I think, you know, guys, guys like, like all of us and including Joe here, we, we like to get the word out because I don't know, I, I, it just seems, it just seems right for people to know about how good of a thing this is. And, and, uh, you know, in some ways it saves that thing, you know, when more people are on board with it and, and, uh. They they realize that it is a special thing, you know, and and if the word is getting out on the Rhode Island whitetail thing, you know, that hopefully that'll be something that that people in Rhode Island care about and recognize as a true, uh, a true resource, a renewable resource and uh, something that that should be celebrated and. You know they should feel good about so, and and uh, I think you guys should. By all accounts, for me looking at it, it looks like the best kept secret there is in the white tail world right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> no, I agree with you though. I, I think like I love stumping people when like they don't know the fact that hunters are like the most they contribute to hunting co- or conservation of animals in general. Like you know they're the the primary source of conservation. Like, people don't understand that right. you know, they think that we're you know limiting wildlife. Really, we're We're the ones helping the wildlife, you know?
0: Yeah, whether whether a hunter uh, wants to or not, as long as they're doing it legally. I mean, they're they're licensed. I mean, if you're hunting with a gun, you know, you got the Pittman-Robinson money that's coming from that. Or Robertson, I should say. And, uh, you know, just... uh, and and even from the uh, thing of helping prevent things like starvation, overcrowding, and uh, and spread of disease, all that kind of thing. Yep, you're right. It's it's an important. We play an important role for sure, and we should look to expand that role any way we can as well. You know, there, there there's definitely some conversation there too that 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 could be had. But now that we have this idea of what. You know what, Rhode Island is like, and from a hunter's perspective. Uh, normally, we would go, you know, we would start out with the hunter profile, but uh, that's where I want to go now. I want to kind of now dial in specifically to who are Dan and Ryan as, as uh, hunters. And so uh, I'll let you guys kind of decide who's going to go first here. But can you just explain to uh, uh, me and the listeners how you guys got your start with hunting? Have you ever hunted out west or maybe thought about going on your first western hunt? Either way, you need to complete applications, navigate every state's processes, and actually end up getting a tag to go and complete your hunt. East to West Hunts with Alex Gruen is your one-stop shop to get the information you need to get the tags you desire to hunt the species of your choice where you want to hunt them. Alex scaffolds his services by offering simple deadline reminders and consultations for DIY hunters all the way up to the deeply involved premium plans that complete all applications and hunt plans for you. He will even send you waypoints on where to camp, hunt, and more if you have his hunt planning services. Memberships for the DIY hunter are as low as $8 a month If you are just getting started, or if you're interested in getting more information, go over to www.alexgruen.com and check out the offerings, or you can give Alex a shout via phone at 720-248-7181. And when you get there, be sure you use the code FIRSTGEN10 on the website or reference this podcast when you give him a ring on the phone. If you do, you will receive a ten percent discount on any service of your choice. Remember, that's www.alexgruin.com and mention the promo code FirstGen10, all one word: F I R S T G E N, the number ten, and receive ten percent off any of Alex's services.
1: Uh, this is Ryan. I can I can definitely attribute my um, my hunting culture to both my grandfather and my father. It's hmm. definitely been a family tradition. Um, you know, since they were doing it back in the day. You know, my grandfather sure. taught my dad, and my dad taught me. And you know, someday I'll I'll teach my son. Hopefully, sure. Um, but that's, I could definitely pay, you know, my hundred percent respect to them. And, you know, they taught me everything, gun safety, um, you know, how to track a buck and what to look for in the woods and and all that good stuff. So definitely a family tradition on, on my side.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Dan, how about you, man? How'd you get into it?
1: Um, basically
2: I just had an interest since I was young, um, I mean, since I was in grade school, I live in the country, so there's plenty of rednecks out here, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I uh, always had seen it and wanted to get into it. I had BB guns and everything, but uh, I don't think I got into it until I met Ryan here. We met in the sixth grade, so we were probably very cool. What, maybe 13 or something, and he took me hunting with his pops and the think, rest is history yeah pretty much
0: <laughs> hey you're my first gen hunter brethren here man that's cool
2: Yeah, pretty much <laughs>
0: that's good and that's that's awesome that you're that ryan was able to introduce you to that and i'm sure that's you know yeah had that not happened you know you probably wouldn't be as good of friends as you are now and and uh you know now you guys are running a channel together and everything that's really cool I but,
1: that's
0: and uh I but, I dream
1: come true for sure
0: yeah, and it looks like Ryan lets you kill a few big ones still too. Oh yeah, yeah, I let him. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's really cool, guys. And you know, I there's so much I could. I, I am kind of a you know we talked we joked a little bit about this not being a, a a good history lesson that we're we're doing in this episode, but I am kind of a a history nerd a little bit, and I could just pick your guys' brains on on. Uh, uh, hunting history, hunting, uh, a uh, culture there in Rhode Island. Cause the, the whole thing just fascinates me, uh, how it's really been something i never even considered until, uh, so following you guys on Instagram and, and how much I've already uh, learned even through this conversation and from watching your YouTube videos and, and your posts and stuff like that. But we need to get moving on here because there might be a few hunters out there who uh, do have the opportunity to hunt Rhode Island. Maybe they live in a neighboring state. Maybe they live in Rhode Island. Uh, maybe they're one of those uh, beach house owners who might now be considering staying there a week or two during the rut. Uh, but... um what exactly is deer hunting like? I mean, we've already talked about as far as, as uh, you know, the landscape goes and, and this idea of, you know, kind of almost a, a, a mosh up of urban and rural hunting, you know, kind of mixed together. But, you know, from from a hunting culture, and you kind of gave me a little idea there when you said that a lot of people in Rhode Island are going out of state to hunt. But is there a you know like a like a strong whitetail culture there in Rhode Island or not really?
1: I'd say there is. Uh, there's plenty of hunters here. Um, there's just ton, a ton of of land. There's a ton of open space that is is open to hunting. Like across the state too. It's not just uh, in one specific portion. Like I don't even know how many management areas we da- we have down here in southern Rhode Island. But I'm gonna guess it's probably close to like six or seven like big management areas and there's just tons of space and and hunting here isn't you know hunting over a food plot you're not you know sitting you you are you're you're kind of ambush style hunting a tree stand sitting up on a deer run or something like that but you know you gotta locate the the oak trees that are dropping acorns that year you maybe want to hunt a scrape line or some or a rub line or a scrape line or something like that um you know there's just there's an abundance of deer here and I'd, I'd say there's a lot plenty of hunters here uh the culture here is definitely is definitely good
0: sure sure now, now is there anything going on like um uh w- we have a, a buddy here uh that we interviewed uh, brad willie from white mountain buck trackers shout out to him out there in in new hampshire and uh man uh just a totally different way of hunting there where they're, you know, cutting a track and they're, they're basically following that track until they, you know, they get into killing range of that buck. Are there people doing that kind of thing in Rhode Island or is it almost exclusively what you said where you're, you're, you know, finding a tree, put maybe doing the hang on or climber game, or maybe even setting a ladder stand there that you're going to return to. Is it, is it more of that style of hunting with, with tree stands and, and things like that or, is it is it kind of run and gun type of thing?
2: I think it's more of um yeah the ambush style where you're sitting in a tree stand or you know you're you're sitting over good
1: sign. Um, sure. I think traditionally too, like there's a lot of a lot of um like ladder stands, like you said, a, a lot of people. And even I grew up, my whole entire life, I grew up in like going to the same stands, like the same built hmm. ladder stands yeah. on private land as a kid. Um a lot of guys do that. They just they hang one ladder stand maybe in the early season and they'll go back to that stand every day, and sit that same tree, you know, day after day, just hoping to get a buck to walk by. And I, I'd say that's like 75% of the hunter's mindset out here. And that in, I grew up on deer drives. Um, that's okay, a, like, yeah. a very popular way of hunting in Rhode Island, uh, five man deer drives. Um, that's also very, uh, success rate is also pretty high.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep it's crazy how similar this sounds to to iowa yet it's a totally different thing with uh just the the kind of the the areas you're hunting there but uh yeah that sounds you know most people here they're gonna be doing what you said they have their traditional stand or two that they're hitting and and i, I imagine you guys rotate your stands quite a bit now and just based on the fact of seeing the deer you guys are killing but but um yeah it's very very similar totally ambush you know ground blind uh maybe hunting on the ground but with you know good camo or something too but no that's that's uh that's really cool so uh what what do you think about you know brandon my co-host and i we've talked about this several times in the past year you know with the whole covid uh deal how that got a lot more hunters um out in the woods which is you know fantastic and and hopefully we're able to hang on to some of those those folks and that they'll they'll stick with it and, and keep hunting for the rest of their lives but did you sense that hunting was was kind of growing in this last year as well in rhode island since people were you know some of those other obligations were taken away
1: good question uh i i think the popularity of people going outside increased, um, you know, with the public land here in Rhode Island come, like, there's also a lot of hiking trails. Hmm. So there's a lot of people walking, walking their dogs, riding their bikes, like the same places that we hunt are the same places that these people are mountain biking and and hiking around. So I think that definitely increased. Um, I I can't really say that hunting has increased, not that I've seen, um, but I hope it has. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. And, uh, that is kind of an interesting dynamic. You say there too, with the, uh, (laughs) all the, the hikers and bikers and everything. Do you guys kind of use that a little bit for strategy? Like, you know, that, okay. There at some point today, there's going to be, you know, some kind of commotion on this biking trail or something. So if I set up over here, that'll probably direct, you know, deer traffic, (laughs) Do you do anything okay. like that?
1: I'd like I'd like to think so, but uh, we've got come into situations where we try different access points. Like this year we were using a, a boat to get across to some of the public land. Oh,
0: and- very cool.
1: We're, we're somewhere where we think that no one else is we're like man this is such a good spot we're out in the middle of nowhere like no one's gonna find us out here and then 20 minutes later here comes some hikers walking down a trail we had no idea that the trail is like 20 yards to our left And we're like well, we're both looking at you're like yeah yeah like we're smart
0: <laughs> oh man yeah, it's
1: not always easy
0: <laughs> that's right that's right you know what i always do because there's a spot that that my brother and I, we found this year that we, we canoed into once and it, you know, that that is, that is a lot of fun by the way, when you add that element to, to your hunt. I mean, it just, that feels, it feels so ancient, you know, getting in the canoe and, and, uh, with your bow and, and paddling to, to happy hunting grounds. Right. But, uh, what I always forget about is I get so focused and I think it's probably from aerial scouting, you know, you're using an on or, or whatever hunt stand or hunt wise, but, uh, you know, you look at those property boundaries for the, the public land and you, you view them as, okay, how can I access these spots that look good to me? But then you forget about the fact that all the private land surrounding it, just because it's private land doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to walk across that private land that has access to that private land and, uh, <laughs> go, go hunt your spot that you f- think is so secluded, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, I have to, I, I do, I get myself into the same situation there. It's like, okay, maybe this isn't so secret, but
2: <laughs>
1: we find that a lot in Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yep. uh, speaking of onyx though i think that's like one of like the greatest things ever since that came out i don't mm. know when it did come out but when we found that we haven't stopped using those tools i think it's the coolest thing i go on there and you know see exactly where you want to go and what the neighboring properties are and maybe find some spots that you didn't know existed previously but you're looking at it on the map you're like wow that looks cool you know it just provides so many different options for you to go out and scout and get out there and look at something different
0: yeah definitely i think that is that is revolutionized hunting and 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 has made diy hunting trips so much more doable you know what i mean just uh to be able to you know say hey i'm gonna go west and hunt elk you know well you know 20 years ago you better know how to read a topo map (laughs) (laughs) whereas whereas now you know you can you, you can get on your app and it, it really helps take care of that for you so i agree I, I think it's revolutionized hunting in a lot of ways and shed hunting too but oh, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll get there we'll get there if anybody
1: yeah. is a first-time hunter like one of my recommendations would be to to get a tool like that that shows you parcel information and boundary lines and and use that to your advantage um, yes you know, learn how to read a topo map and you know find some uh info on the internet and you know see where where it looks good and you know use that that tool to your advantage
0: yeah i definitely agree I, i and that's an excellent tip too that i'm glad that you called that out specifically for somebody who's new to hunting that can make a huge difference for your trajectory towards success there there's There's so much more opportunity out there than what we realize as far as public land goes, but also, you know, maybe you do need to just work up the nerve and go knock on someone's door. And and if you know exactly how their property lies and know it's a good spot, it might be the best thing you ever did and might be something you can enjoy for years and years to come. Yeah, absolutely. Find
1: yourself a little honey hole.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly, exactly. So, okay, well let's now now we have a good idea of what Rhode Island's like, what the hunting culture's like there. Where kind of where it's, you know, hopefully heading a little bit. Hopefully it's it's growing and and something that'll stick around for generations, but let's talk specifically now some Rhode Island deer hunting strategy. So, I think the best way to do this and and this is something, you know, as as Dan, you can probably relate to this as a first gen hunter too um as as uh i get more years under my belt i i realize how nuanced each phase of a deer you know a total deer season is you know the how different the early season is from uh the rut and how different the rut and the early season are from you know the late very end of the season so let's kind of walk it through these phases here the early season the rut and uh then you know whenever your gun season i guess fits in because we know how that changes the the pressure on the deer herd and uh then uh the late season so how how uh are you guys approaching each one of those phases could you just kind of walk us through your strategy a little bit
2: um early season typically i mean the deer are usually on a schedule so we're setting trail cameras middle of summer and we're spending you know two to three months trying to figure out where these deer are and where they're moving what they're
1: feeding on um being on a schedule, I think, is the the key right there. The deer are just on a set schedule. They're they're coming out to a field at a specific time to feed. And they're they're in their bachelor group still. You know, they're all herded up. Um, that's a good time to to pinpoint. You know, maybe a target deer they want to go after when the season opens, or you know, when the rut occurs.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's kind of how things are too here around here, you know, you can kind of get on that. I mean, it's not quite the exact same as as the summer because we don't have our opening days until October 1st. And so mm-hmm. those those patterns can shift a little bit, you know, especially if somebody starts an early harvest or something uh for the ag fields, but yeah, you're right. It's you can get much more on like a predictable schedule during the early season here too. Now, I, I should yep. ask this: When is opening day in Rhode Island?
2: Um, our opening day is September
1: 15th for archery season. Sure, but that is in uh, Zone One, which is uh, you know the the coastal um, zone in Rhode Island. Um, okay. Uh, there's also zone two, which is more like the central and northern part of the state, but an archery season doesn't open until uh, October 1st. So you will, you almost get a full month to hunt in zone one before zone two opens up on October 1st.
0: Now, do you guys take advantage of that? Do you do you drive over to that other zone and, and try and hunt, or do you just wait until zone two opens?
1: We, I personally, you know, it's kind of it goes either way for me. Like I, I get eaten alive by mosquitoes here yeah. and I don't like how the woods are so green. Like you can't see anything and I don't know the deer are, aren't bulked up. Like I just love hunting the rut so much that, you know, I love the cold weather and I, I just like to kind of save my tags for when I sure. like to hunt, but I'm just so excited for when it, the season opens. And I'm still out there and you know, I'm still out there filming and mm-hmm. No, just trying to be out there as much as I can, but the like mosquitoes, man.
0: man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I hear you there, man. They, I, and this was really the first year that I really went after bow hunting, and I got my first taste of that, and it was – I get it. <laughs> it can be downright miserable.
2: Well, luckily, this year we had a crazy um, drought, too, so we didn't have much water, any water holes going, and that definitely worked to our advantage as well. Yeah. So we kind of knew where they were heading each day when they got up.
0: Yeah, that's always nice when you do. I mean, it's interesting how you view things like that with weather when you start hunting. You know, it's like, oh, this is going to be a really dry year. Oh, I I guess that's bad. That's kind of good.
1: (laughs) we We found a puddle. That was like literally a puddle in the, in public land that we were. And we set a trail camera over it and man, like we probably got five or six different bucks coming to it. Wow. And like, a killer spot just because there was a puddle out there and that's where they were going. Yeah. So that, trail a, cameras are too one of our keys to success. Like we're, we're trying to run as many trail cameras as we can just to take inventory and see where they are and, you know, just kind of take note of, of what things are looking like.
0: Sure. Do you guys ever get any of those stolen off of public land? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. But, oh, I hate that. I uh, thankfully I have well, and I have not yet put one up on on uh, public land, but um, uh, and that's kind of why I don't. I guess because I, I mean, like I was saying earlier, public land is already so, so limited here in Iowa that, you know, you get a lot of people on those those pieces, and I just know they would they would they would get picked up, but you know. I think it's probably worth the risk though too. I mean, especially looking at some of the deer you guys are are killing. It's
1: After we're getting a couple stolen like we stopped buying the the really expensive ones and just started going with like the Walmart brand Sure. And, like, stuff like that like just cuz I was sick of getting like, like $80 cameras. Yeah. Take, you know?
0: Yep. Yep, for sure. Yeah, yeah, my problem is I just keep catching trespassers on mine. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, that's even worse.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh well uh so you kind of mentioned this too a little bit as far as um uh what kind of food sources you're hitting sounds like you're doing a lot of uh uh like oak trees so so mast crop and Mm -hmm. and uh are you is there any kind of like green uh food sources that you're you're prioritizing there in the early season
1: not really ken um like Rhode Island just isn't like a like a like like we did say it was kind of like a farming state, but like not in the sense that like the Midwest is like there's not bean fields or
0: sure.
1: corn fields or, or you know soybean fields. There's none of that really. Uh, you might you might get the occasional herd or you know chewing on some turf grass or you know <laughs> you know just regular grass out here, but sure. uh, you know it, it's definitely not not like you would think it is like deer here eating acorns and beech nuts. beech nuts yeah all sorts of stuff twigs and you know <laughs> green briar buds and all that stuff
0: yeah yeah so <laughs> you're i imagine most of your hunting then is pretty deep into timber just because of that's where that's where the food is
1: Yes, and this year we had a, a great uh, acorn harvest. Like it, when you were walking through the woods, it was like walking on marbles. Well. <laughs> yeah. so that made it even harder because they didn't have to travel far. Like right, there was one or two oak trees, you know, within their their range, like it was everywhere. So like the bucks were bedded up and they could maybe get up and walk 10 yards and have their feast. Like, I think it made it a little bit more challenging.
0: Yeah, definitely. And they could probably literally be anywhere too. There's, there's so much of that on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, you're right. In, in Iowa and Illinois and, and I would even guess I haven't hunted these places, but places like Ohio and Indiana and in Wisconsin, there's so much ag that that's generally what you're setting up on is, you know, your average hunter is going to be finding a field edge somewhere um but you know to some some extent though too and this is one way i've been growing as a hunter and have seen some uh more opportunities um you know sitting back in the timber still a little bit and not right on that field edge i think i think deer are moving around in that thicker timber more than we we think too so
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, it's uh,
1: I'm wrong too, Ken, but you know that's why deer out there are so much bigger, right? Because yeah, the act so good. Like, you know, so oh, like, yeah,
0: yeah, there's always,
1: so much better.
0: right, yeah, there, you know, the stress of nutrition is just, I mean, this year, I think we're probably going to see, you know, if you really looked closely at monitoring the deer herd in in, in both Iowa and Illinois, honestly, um. Uh, But if you looked closely, I think you would probably see a little bit of a downtick after this year because uh, we've had so much snow. But also, right before we had that snow, we probably got like over maybe three or four different rainstorms that all turned into ice. We got probably an inch and a half to two inches of ice underneath all of the snow. And, uh, man, you want to talk about making it tough to get down to that that ground level to those food sources. And, uh, but even still, you know, because there's just so much ag left in the, you know, that gets left behind even during harvest, you know, those combines are pretty efficient, but they don't get everything. And, uh, even during the worst years, the deer are going to be able to find something, you know, whereas you go to go to a state like Rhode Island, you know, if there's, let's say there's a terrible, you know, windstorm or something, uh, right right as the acorns are, you know, starting to pop out and they all get knocked to the ground, you know, I think that kind of actually happened in New Hampshire this year from some stuff I was looking at, but you know, man, that's a huge stressor, <laughs> you know,
1: and that kind of might lead us into the next segment of shed hunting too, but do you guys have regulations on when you can shed hunt just because of that stress factor? Yeah, the that's it when there's a tough winter, like you guys aren't allowed to to shed hunt until a certain time because the herd is so stressed?
0: That's a great question. And I've actually even considered that for myself this year, you know, as far as getting out. And we do not have any – Iowa is actually a shed hunter's state. They're they're a – we're not, you know, we're we're definitely a bow hunter's state in the sense that we have – trophy whitetails you know unlike most places in the world you know you can you can come here and and if you spend a week in Iowa you're going to get you're going to get your eyes on some pretty incredible animals but it's very tough to get a out of state tag in Iowa i mean it's just expensive you usually got to wait a few years to draw and yeah. um and then the the side of there's just not a lot of public land you know and so If in that sense, it's not, you know, it's not super great for being a non-resident, but man, if a non-resident want that loved shed hunting, man, if they came to Iowa, they would, they would find a lot of, they would, they would, they would find a lot of worth in that because, um, you can go, you know, on public land, you can go as much as you want you can keep whatever you find if you find a deadhead, you have to get that you got to get a salvage tag for that because they want to make sure people aren't poaching deer and you know then leaving them for for you know shed season and grabbing the antlers then but but um yeah it's it's pretty much you can go as much as you want when you want Uh, you got to have permission on private land which is good but but uh yeah it's it's pretty much wide open, but you know this year, I don't think many people have been out in Iowa just because the weather's been so brutal because not only have we had a lot of snow, but um it's like this last I don't know two and a half weeks, I mean it's been really cold, like like negative you know five, six type cold you know let alone whatever the wind chill's been you know so so that that kind of keeps people you know out of the woods too to some extent but yeah i know, are those, are those I know
1: jet hunters that are going out there and braving the conditions just to find uh, the antlers though are there still those guys
0: yeah i'm sure they're still out there and actually i uh, um, i don't know if you saw on my page uh, a friend uh, a friend and I, we actually found a, a nice match set back in January in Illinois. And, uh, that was an accidental thing though. We were squirrel hunting and, uh, we came across these night. but I mean, we were keeping our eyes out too. You know, we want, we wanted to, we wanted to make sure we saw any sheds if, if they were there. But so, I mean, yeah, there's still people that get out and, and do stuff. And I'm sure, you know, when I'm, I, I went out one time shed hunting, like purely shed hunting, um uh this this winter so far and uh i there was already tracks down and that was that was back in january as well around new year's and um so yeah i'm sure you know whenever i get back out on some public ground here soon there will be a lot of boot tracks you know (laughs) and and uh, yeah there's there's a lot of diehards i imagine it's the same way around you guys too
1: i think shed hunting is a lot less popular than hunting around here you don't really find too many people shed hunting um than you do hunting so i think that's uh that's good to know on our side Yeah, we find all the antlers but you know then again i want to promote people to get out there and, and hike mm-hmm. around and get the exercise and, and find antlers because there's nothing better than finding an antler right
0: <laughs> yeah no that is that is for sure during shed season i always have this like uh debate in my mind what do you like better deer hunting or shed hunting <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I, I know i know i love it man it's 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 unlike anything else but we're, we're giving too much away here we gotta we gotta get to that here in a second because that is i think a really a really cool th- opportunity that's there in rhode island but um so you know, you mentioned this too a little bit, and I imagine you probably start switching to this mode once you get to mid October to late October, uh, and that's starting to look for scrape lines. Do you guys hunt a lot of scrape lines there, and or, or even do any kind of like mock scraping or anything like that?
1: Never done any mock scraping myself, um, but yes, I, I do like to target scrapes. I think it's a, a great, great way to, or a great tactic to hunt. Um, it's just a great way of what am i trying to say is it's a good way to to see deer especially during the rut you know you know especially find a hot screen or a community screen you know bucks are going to be out there hitting them so
0: yeah for sure so once the rut rolls around are you still prioritizing these scrapes or do you start to move your stands to uh, get closer to doe bedding areas maybe closer to a watering hole just because these bucks are running around like crazy and even though they're not really eating much they're still tanking up on water when they can Are are you making any of those kind of adjustments White Duck Outdoors manufactures and provides the highest quality premium canvas gear for hunting groups and outfitters. With a complete range of canvas wall tents, cabin tents, and bell tents, White Duck offers shelters that you can spend days or even weeks in when you're out on a big hunt. The tents are built from their proprietary Dyna Duck fabric. It's 100% army duck cotton canvas treated with a breathable pfc free fire water repellent mold and uv resistant finish all tents come equipped with all add-ons at no extra cost this includes a complete pole set stove jack storm door floor bug mesh and windows beyond their top of the line canvas tents White Duck's line of gear consists of heavy-duty canvas tarps designed to protect any gear and equipment, ripstop beds for your gun dogs after a long day of hunting, and military-grade duffel bags to brave the outdoors. All products from White Duck come with free shipping, free returns, and a lifetime warranty. Visit www.whiteduckoutdoors.com and use the promo code all one word, all caps, firstgen for 10% off your first purchase. That's www.whiteduckoutdoors.com and enter the promo code firstgen for 10% off your first purchase.
1: Sure, I think you know. Within the past couple of years, when we started this YouTube channel, we've we've me and Dan have both become very mobile hunters. Um, you know, we were we were tired of sitting in the same spots. Sure. Year after year. so we love to hike around. We want to find that hot sign. You know, just because one scrape is lit up one year doesn't mean it's going to be touched in the next year. Um, you know, we we like to try to find that community scrape though, the one that that is getting hit year after year, and kind of hunt that one um but you know one of the main public pieces that we do hunt is next to a big uh, body of water so we know those bucks are thirsty and and we're kind of using that to our advantage as well but you know we've become very mobile hunters you know we're gonna sit a stand one night if we don't see anything we're gonna try and go somewhere the next day um you know very mobile
0: sure sure so when you're, when you're saying mobile, are you guys doing saddles or are you doing, uh, hang-ons or, or, uh, climbers? What, what what's kind of your approach there?
1: Both climbers and hang-ons. We've gotten, uh, big into hang-ons, uh, the past sure. couple years, uh, you know, climbing sticks and hang-on stands, uh, they're pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you, uh, pack, I mean, carrying your sticks or do you guys have a few trees prepped with some aluminum sticks beforehand?
1: we're packing everything in uh, beforehand
0: man with all the camera gear too
1: <laughs> oh it's God. heavy yeah it's so- <laughs> so, like, it, it, we didn't we didn't think it was going to be as heavy as it was when we got our setups either we're like oh all these guys are using hang-on stands like this is sweet we got to get a setup and then once it's all wow. on our back we're like holy moly it's yeah. so heavy
0: <laughs> it is it is i mean i got into it this year too a little bit and i'm i'm here to tell you you know you see a guy up a tree and a hang on you just need to give him a little tip of your cap because that is some work
1: <laughs> and it's, it's even harder to get up quietly
0: yeah exactly i mean everything about it but you know what though i will say this not only does it make you tougher <laughs> but it uh it teaches you to be like patient and deliberate with how with your approach you know what i mean just because it's like when you have a ladder stand or you know maybe even like a like a like a ground blind or something you know in other words something that's easy to get into you're like you know you know slobbering and drooling with excitement while you're like sprinting through the woods almost you know to get there because you know it's going to be so easy to scramble up into the tree and you're just like you can't you can't wait to get there but when you got to hang on and i imagine the same way with a saddle and you got to go through that whole process of getting everything set up and if if you aren't careful you're gonna start banging ratchet straps into your You know aluminum sticks or or uh whatever you know you know you're going to you're gonna scare every deer out of the woods it just teaches you to be be so much more like methodical and and uh i don't know wise with (laughs) with your approach have you guys figured that out for yourselves too a little bit
1: yeah, you should see uh, Dan's uh, setup. He's got everything quiet proof or, or bang proof. He's got stuff over all, all, all over his rapid ratchet straps, and he's got like beer koozies that are like custom sewed, like around every <laughs> piece of metal. I will give him props. That's
0: that's that's pretty uh that's pretty good yeah. attention to detail there. I've yeah. thought of that, I, and I think I am going to do that for next year. As far as uh, Matt, do you just use like uh, athletic tape or something like that to go around your straps?
2: um around the uh, the actual ratchets themselves so i cut open camo beer koozies and re them around them.
0: <laughs> that's perfect man that's a great idea
1: yeah it works awesome
0: <laughs> yeah that's a great idea Yeah, those things yeah. man you you go to pull that off your back and you just oh you can hear them just clanging oh, oh
1: we've had one too many mornings like that yeah yes. So hike into a spot and then you know you bang something together yeah last strap oh. of the day
0: <laughs> oh Yep. You're, you're like stressing me out here. Just, uh, talking about
1: it, (laughs) give you some gray hair. That's
0: right. That's right. For sure. Well, once you guys are up in the tree and, and, uh, you're starting to, uh, you know, get settled in a little bit, we're still on the rut here. Do you do much, uh, like rattling or or calling on a grunt tube or maybe a, uh, a bleat can or something like that?
1: Not so much rattling. Um, grunt tube seems to work pretty good, but only certain times of the year. Um, and I, I think the bleep can actually works the best. Um, I've killed really? bucks with the bleep can. Yep. Like five minutes after, ten minutes after, buck comes cruising in, I can give props to my bleep can because he's Really? Looking. That's
0: super yeah. interesting. Yep. It, it, is it just like the, the Primos? Uh, yeah,
1: the green, little green Yeah, can, yep.
0: No kidding. Huh. I've used, I've used that thing, you know, through the years and you know what I think that is. And the reason I, I, I ask about this, you know, and people listen and be like, of course they call, you know, everybody calls during the run. Okay. But hear me out. The, the, the reason I ask is because buck density and doe density, I think factors into this so much more than the average hunter thinks about, you know what I mean? Like if, if you have an, if you're hunting an area that's just got so many does, there, the bucks don't need to fight. You know what I mean? So, in other words, rattling doesn't interest them because, oh, there's a couple of bucks fighting over there. Well, I'm just going to go find one of these other 10 does that are in the area that, that are yeah. probably in heat. You know what I mean? And so, they just aren't receptive to different things. And I'm glad I asked you that because I've never heard anybody give a bunch of credit to a uh, bleak can before but that obviously shows you know some kind of difference there for for um uh you you know your situation do you guys have maybe a lower doe to buck ratio there
1: yeah probably i was just going to say that like i don't i don't think the deer density is 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 very high in our area so you do use that know maybe a buck within a couple hundred yards and be like oh there's a doe over there you know let's go check her out so it definitely works to our advantage and huh. I, I think rattling is does the opposite it's like gonna scare the deer away it's like whoa like what's that like i've never heard that before like right we've we've gotten some bucks you know tangling up antlers and stuff at night on our trail cameras and stuff but that's like very few and far between like we get a picture of that in our chair i'm like that's so cool like these yeah bucks yeah our camera like, you never see that like
0: yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we get quite a we get quite a bit of buck fighting around here, but not. I've I've never heard anybody having success with the bleak cans, so that's really cool that you guys uh, that you guys uh, have found that. That's re- that, that's super interesting to me. Must be my biology teacher in me. That's getting that's <laughs> geeking out over that, but that's really cool. So um, now that we've gotten through the rut, and maybe do you guys have it so that gun season runs for part of the rut maybe not the most ideal days of the rut but is it is it close to that or is it way after the rut
1: uh probably smack dab right in the middle of it like our muzzleloader season oh really right during prime time rut, i think yeah oh. yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> So it, it kind of makes it tough when you want to bow hunt. Um, you know, you yeah. got your spots dialed in, and you're trying to get in, and you know, here comes you know the the orange army trudging through the woods like an opening day of muzzleloader season, like during prime time. It's like, uh, I kind of frustrated you a little bit, but that's right. just from a bow hunter standpoint. Like, I love hunting with my muzzleloader. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like completely different mindset.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that's how it is in Illinois. They i'm trying to think um i have not hunted gun season in illinois uh but it's like i i don't think it's at the prime time of the rut i think it's like maybe right after prime time like like a couple of days after peak rut but um which you know some people would tell you peak rut stinks because everything all the bucks are locked down but um they a lot of deer (laughs) go down uh because because of that timing but i think i I actually think illinois does a great job managing their deer herd in iowa on the other hand though and again this is where you know a non-resident would say you know man i really want to go to iowa because there's giants there but it's not the best situation for me and that is our gun season our gun seasons are we have an early muzzleloader, se- of course we have a youth season too, which is in like the last weekend of September or something like that. But, uh, we have a, we have an early muzzleloader season in right during the October lull. I mean, uh, and, and I, I know that October lull means different things to different, different people. And, and I haven't made up my full opinion on it yet either, but, um, it's during that you know, traditional time, what people would refer to the October low as, but then there's not another chance with a gun until December. And so all of the rut, you know, all of the best days of the rut are, are are archery equipment only. And, and and furthermore uh, in Iowa, we are not a crossbow state unless you have a medical uh, waiver signed by your doctor. And so, it is strictly compound or traditional archery equipment, uh, for the entire rut. So that's, that's. So
1: nobody nobody can use like a compound. I mean, I'm sorry, a crossbow, like no, no average Joe can't use a crossbow in Iowa.
0: Correct. Except for during, uh, late muzzleloader season. So okay. you're in So basically you're you're saying I'm going to disadvantage myself even more <laughs> by taking the, uh, by taking a crossbow over a uh, muzzle loader, you know, so that's,
1: but I used to be like that. It, it used to be just like that. You have to have a doctor's note. You have to be handicapped in some way or another in order to use a crossbow. But within the past couple of years, they changed that. And now anybody can use a crossbow.
0: Okay. That, and, and that's what Illinois did too. Yeah. Now, now one thing Iowa has done recently, and maybe you guys know something about this too. Uh, I know you mentioned the thing about rifle hunting in other States. Iowa now we used to only be a a shotgun or muzzleloader state or or you could have a handgun certain caliber of handgun you know like 44 mag or something like that yeah. um but like i don't know it must be like 3 years ago now maybe 2 or 3 years ago um Iowa adopted straight walled rifle rounds or they're actually called like pistol rounds uh so um like 450 Bushmaster, 44 Magnum, 357 Magnum. Uh I shoot a 350. Um 350 Legend. Uh so they're not they don't have the range of, you know, your normal neck down high power 30-06 or something like that, but uh definitely, you know, a little bit better accuracy than a big old rifle slug and uh, you know, a lot more energy than a uh, muzzle loader, and so yeah. that is that is one thing that Iowa has has done in the last couple of years. Do you guys have that too there in Rhode Island with the straight walled rounds, or is it all shotgun and muzzle loader still?
2: Uh, it's all shotgun and muzzle loader here.
0: Yeah, and I I kind of wonder, you know, I haven't sat in on any of these meetings, but I kind of wonder if um, that's been kind of the trade off that state agencies have kind of gone with, you know, okay, we're either going to let everybody use a crossbow or we're going to allow the uh, straight-walled pistol rounds. You know what I mean? And and because uh, in Illinois, it's the same deal as you guys again, where it's, you know, muzzleloader, shotgun, or high-powered pistol. But they have, everybody can use a crossbow, so yeah, it's kind of interesting how, how that all breaks down, but... I think it's
1: kind of cool learning about how each state differs in that sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm. It's a pain to non-residents, I know, to come hunt Iowa, but I'm glad that it is too, and, and to some extent, you know, because you look at some of these other states that were trophy whitetail states, and uh, people have kind of, I don't know. Ha- it's kind of been one of those, like the boiling frog thing, you know, it's been a problem that we haven't really noticed. And, uh, uh, but they're not really viewed as trophy whitetail states anymore because anybody can go in there with a, any kind of rifle and get a tag for 200 bucks. And <laughs> what do you know, yep. all the, all the mature age class deer are pretty well cleaned out, you know? So I, I'm, I'm glad that, that Iowa does go that extra mile to protect the resource. So, it's, you know, if you got something good, you want to keep it. So.
1: Sure. Like what do you think would happen if Iowa became like an over the counter state? You think the, Like how soon do you think the whitetail population would, uh, would diminish?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think the fact that there isn't a lot of public land would, would help with that. It would help mitigate that, you know, but, um, it would definitely have an effect for sure. It, it it would, it would, uh, it would probably knock us down a level or two and it comes up, you know, every once in a while that, that gets, that gets proposed, but it, it you know, it, I think, uh, like I said, DNR does a nice job of, of, uh, protecting that and, and, uh, being wise about those decisions, but yeah, for sure. Well, Uh, After the rut you're into um the late season now you've these deer have survived a gun season and uh you know temperatures are dropping probably starting to get a little bit of snow what are you guys doing then are you just headed you know kind of back to your early season mode of hey let's get to uh let's get back to those big uh Massed crop areas, or are you just primarily hunting cover at that point.
1: Hmm. I think it's more the the mass crop scenarios, and if there's snow on the ground, we're looking for heavy beat down trails. Um, sure, you know, they're probably the two main things. Um, you know, I think plus deer here are are more tend to go nocturnal again which is uh, not a good thing. So, you know, the deer drives come to come back into play. Um, not that we did a lot of that this year. Um, but I, I know a lot of people who, who use that as a tactic as well. You know, they're, they're pushing the deer out of the the cover. So.
0: Sure. Sure. That makes sense. I mean, if you, if you can, uh, <laughs> if you can't see them, you might as well get them up or get them running. And I, I can understand that, that, that method for sure. Um, so, late season's over yeah hopefully everyone's everyone's tagged out and everything and and uh you've you've kind of gone through the regular changes and adjustments of a deer season and now it's uh uh time for the uh part of the season that we all love the most oh well, boy. maybe maybe, sh- maybe not the <laughs> most we know we have this internal debate right maybe it's the most maybe it's the second most what do we, we don't know maybe it's a tie but it is one of the best parts of the year and that is shed season yeah. how does shed season work in rhode island
1: um it's pretty much a free-for-all i mean we touched a little bit upon you know you know uh maybe like ethics, I think you'd maybe call them, whether you want to go out and look for them during the early season, if there's a lot of snow, do you want to pressure the herd? But, you know, in Rhode Island, there's there's not so much of a herd as it is. um, We're not even considered to have a lot of snow this time of year anyway. So, you know, I don't think we're going to do much damage if we go out too early and try and push around some deers for the sake of an antler. But um, shed season is definitely one of our favorite seasons for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah mine too <laughs> i'm pretty much obsessed but uh do you guys start pretty much as soon as late season ends or are you um kind of in that you know deer season's over i need to maybe you know butcher a deer or or uh you know cut up some cut up some meat and get it all packaged up and uh you know just kind of take a break from hunting for a while or do you guys roll straight into it as soon as uh late season ends
1: well, after we're done sulking that deer season is over, uh, <laughs> we're, we're kind of like pulling our trail cams, getting them out of the woods so people don't take them, like, taking our inventory of equipment. Um, and me personally, I try and tell Dan, I'm like, let's hold off on shed hunting until at least like middle of February. Like, let's not get out there right away just because like we put in a lot of miles and we hate walking like maybe six hours on a Saturday to come up with nothing. So it's right. like I take a few like at least a month off to try and like get excited for it. At least I I try, you know?
0: Right. Right.
1: And it's hard, but uh you know, now I think is probably peak. I'd say most deer now have dropped their antlers and there might be a few stragglers hanging on right now, but I, I think we're in the heart of it right now and it's middle of February. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, it seems, I, I noticed from a video that you just shared the other day that uh, um, you were scooping them up already. And uh, it seemed like that was a little bit ahead of where what we're at here in, in Iowa. Really? So,
1: You're still holding on out there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't have any real recent visual confirmations of that, you know, just because I haven't been out. I've been stuck inside so much lately. Yeah. But um Uh, just historically most bucks are are shedding like we would be you know if you did it on a bell curve this time frame right now kind of the the back end of mid-february is where you're starting to go up that bell curve but first weekend of march into the second weekend of march is like probably the the most prime time when antlers are dropping so yeah it's kind of interesting though that you guys are a little bit ahead of us it sounds like and and just from watching that that video that you had up the other day but uh with that uh with that being considered um do deer kind of yard up in rhode island because they're spending so much time in timber you know where they they find like this little pocket where uh they um you know all deer are gonna say yeah this is favorable habitat for this time of year and so because of that do you find like a bunch of sheds in a in a you know relatively small concentrated area
2: uh typically no we don't find too many sheds together if you do you are dang lucky <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah and there's, like i said earlier too like this was such a good year for acorns that there's just food everywhere and the deer yeah. can just kind of scrape the top layer of the snow and, and get at them anyway so it's not like there's a specific food source or anything that they're really hitting hard that maybe you'd find like a couple antlers within you know 100 yards radius or something, but sure. I, I think it's more luck of the draw, can really. Like we're just putting in our miles. We're walking a ton. We're trying to find good runs and and stuff like that. And that's that's what we try and do. We're yeah. Put in the miles. Miles for piles. Right?
0: That's right. Miles for piles, man. <laughs> yeah, I uh yeah. I just wrote an article for um a magazine here in Iowa that that uh, I I do a little writing for on shed hunting. And uh uh, I think the title of it was Logic Luck and Long Walks.
1: Yeah, and that's a good title.
0: <laughs> and, and uh, that middle word there luck is definitely part of it. There's no doubt about it. And I think that for new shed hunters, which by the way, you know, if if you're new to hunting shed hunt, please please shed hunt. I mean, yeah, you will learn right. so much about deer from doing that i I mean uh, there's not a faster way to learn about deer in my opinion than to go shed hunting because during deer season you're trying to do the opposite you're trying to stay out of those core areas where they're they're at because you don't want to mess yourself up for the rest of your deer season but but uh during shed season man all that comes down you get to see what a deer's doing you know you to see where they're at you get to see their beds, you get to see their heavy travel routes, their food sources, all that stuff. So please do that. But at the same time, new shed hunters I think face a lot of frustration because they don't uh understand the luck <laughs> the yeah. luck component. I mean, you can be in the most prime looking spots and come up empty time and time again you know it's it's uh it can be it can be pretty frustrating but then you know all of a sudden you're driving home and there's a shed laying in the middle of the road
1: (laughs) i know right (laughs) Yep. one a couple years ago you know me and dan are out there on a saturday probably put like six or seven hours in didn't come up with anything or he's driving home, I'm driving home. And he sends me a picture of a nice match set as he was driving home. Like, are you kidding me? Wow.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Seven
1: hours, you find him with driving yep. home.
2: You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happens, you know, it's just uh, half the time it is locker <laughs> Yeah. I'm always out there searching for this big secret. How can I find more antlers? How can yeah. I do it? But yeah. hey, just get out and walk, you know, follow the sign. And, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, Yep, yeah, you're you're exactly right, and and so much of that is, is uh, is exactly that just, just luck, for sure. You know, kind of on that though, in it with acknowledging that one of the things that I'm that for the past couple shed seasons I've tried to work on for myself personally is not obsessing over that side of it though too. On on the flip side of the coin, you know, and what I mean by that is. You'll be walking through this prime, this prime territory, not find anything. And then you're looking over here at this big grassy field that has some nice bedding and stuff, but it's a huge, huge field, you know? So in other words, the deer could be anywhere inside there. And you're just thinking to yourself, man, I need to like grid that field and see if I can, see if I can find a shed. And you know what? There's a good chance there could be a shed in there somewhere, you know, because luck would have it that. You know, a deer was walking across that field and, uh, it, it, you know, it just dropped in there. And if you, but the amount of time you would have to put in to searching for that one shed that might be in there that you might get lucky for, you just wasted time that you could have been spending in, you know, these other areas that, that do follow good Deer sign sense and and uh you know the the logic side of it, you sacrifice too much for the trying to get lucky in these these other areas too and uh you know I think that's another way that that shed hunters can kind of hurt their uh antler count by the end of the season is by obsessing over you know areas like that that just aren't you know they don't follow the logic as well too much of the luck. <laughs> Yeah, but,
1: definitely but. one thing i would like to say to, to new hunters too especially people who are just getting into shed hunting something that's helped me um through years of shed hunting is you got to train your eyes to look for a specific size of antler especially yeah. maybe, maybe not so much in iowa but you know maybe you'd find more of a like a four point side than you would not but i try to train my my train my eyes to find like a medium size antler like um you want everyone wants to find that big antler but you got to train your eyes to, like, look for something a little smaller because chances are you're going to find something a little smaller. So if you're always out there looking for something huge, then you're going to miss over all the little ones. And, you know, like maybe
0: you're not. No, I think that's that's a great tip, and I was actually going to ask you guys about that because I noticed specifically that you guys do seem to find maybe a slightly – disproportionate and maybe it's just because these are the pictures that you choose to post or whatever but maybe a slightly disproportionate number of what we what i would classify as bigger antlers um i I was just talking about how i just talked shed hunting with joe shed recently and he said that he has found through his his years of shed hunting that he finds a disproportionate number of like One and a half to two and a half year old deer antlers, and it makes him wonder: Am I looking? Am I prioritizing just the wrong kind of habitat to where I'm finding you know so many more of these age class antlers as opposed to finding these older age class antlers? And and I've had that same question for myself too because I would put myself into Joe's boat where I found a disproportionate number of younger buck antlers. Is there anything? different like maybe terrain feature wise or food source wise water source wise cover wise that you guys are doing that you feel makes you more likely to find more mature buck antlers
1: maybe like just trying to go where other people aren't gonna go you know okay maybe, yeah like maybe in the swamps like somewhere where they're not gonna walk you know big buck would like like to hang out in the swamp. You know, go put on your muck boots and, and trudge up to your ankles or up to your shins and muck and try and find something. But I don't think there's really any trick to to finding anything more mature than, you know, something that's the younger deer. I think it's more look of a girl. That's just my opinion.
0: Well, no, that makes sense because you're, you're using pressure. I mean, you're essentially using pressure in the opposite way <laughs> as what you would during— uh, deer season, where you're trying to get pressure to push deer to you. In this case, you're trying to use pressure to go where deer get pushed to. And so right. that's that's uh, yeah, that's that's a, actually a really great tip. I never actually, thought of it that way.
2: Actually, Ryan found an antler two days ago.
1: Yeah, I think it was two.
2: Randomly enough, and for reference, that antler was found in the deep woods. Two years earlier, that same antler was found in my front yard
0: oh wow <laughs>
2: uh, it just shows you how drastic it can change you know yeah. from in the middle of a neighborhood to you know out there in the middle of the woods
0: yep uh, Yep, for sure. And and that once again goes to show that luck can be part of it too. You know, they yeah. they that antler could just fall at any time when they're yes, they're spending, you know, maybe 85% of their day in that deep swamp, but when they go out to graze on that lawn for for a half an hour, it might drop in, in the alleyway behind someone's house on their way there. So, that's yeah, great. It's a great it's a great point to uh to mention there.
1: I always thought that a big buck, like if a big mature buck has a big heavy horn, if one drops, you know, he's got to have like an unequal amount of weight on yeah. one of his excited. Like you'd think that the other antler would be close by because he's irritated and, or whatever. But, you know, we searched for the other side to that antler for probably an hour and couldn't come up with anything. So it's like, yeah, maybe he just carried it for another mile and dropped it somewhere oh, yeah. else there's no method to the madness. Yeah.
0: I agree with that too. You know, you hear people say stuff like that all the time. And I think to some extent, yeah, you know, there's gotta be some logic to that with, with it it probably does feel uneven. And also I've heard people say, um, that big bucks, they found shed earlier. And these are people who have found so many antlers that, you know, when they say something about shed hunting, you, you better be listening. <laughs> and, and, uh, they, you know, they'll say that, and yet then you'll hear somebody else be like, no, there's nothing to that. But, I don't know, when you kind of think about it, those heavier antlers, you know, if if they're starting to, uh, you know, the the antlers starting to separate from the pedicle, all that extra mass on those bigger antlers, it just seems like it's going to pull them off earlier. But then at the same time, their their bases are bigger than... A younger buck so they got more holding that antler on so i don't yeah. know it's it it is pretty interesting though when you you start to try and put put the pieces of the puzzle together and but then you can be like dan and find a match set while you're driving home <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yep, yep. some guys have all the luck some guys yeah. have all the luck <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> no i actually the listeners know this this story uh, i've actually found one roadshed and I couldn't take it. It was on private land in oh. Illinois. Actually, I was driving in Illinois. Illinois has a specific law. And plus, I wouldn't take it anyways, just because, you know, yeah. some yep. somebody else that's, you know, maybe they like to shed hunt their own place. And, you know, who am I to take take that from so i tried getting in contact with the landowner and everything and knocking on all the neighbors houses and everything and i couldn't i couldn't get in contact with anyone to help me out so i had to leave it but it was a beautiful double brow tine uh wow. and real nice uh uh five point side yeah it was it was a beauty my biggest at the time too and i had to had to leave it there but
1: did you take a picture of it at least?
0: Oh yeah. I got it. I'll send it. I'll send you guys a picture after we're done All recording right, okay. just so you can, uh, suffer with me on this one. It was a good one, but no, it stayed there. And, uh, and, you know, I imagine some, uh, some other, uh, dude is probably cruising by. saw that. Didn't even think twice. Yeah.
1: probably. <laughs> yep. yeah. Cause it, probably. it it didn't stay
0: there. That's for sure. I went yeah. back to drive by to see if it was still there and it was gone. Somebody, somebody had picked it up. So, yeah. Nope. that's that's the way it goes. Well, well guys, I
1: I you good.
0: well, and then uh, a friend of mine, a, a farming friend of mine, who lets me shed hunt out at his place, he found a real nice side uh, uh, while he was mending fence uh, last spring, and he gave that one to me, and so I call that my consolation shed. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, for sure. So, well, uh, as we uh, wind down here, I want to our listeners to make sure that they can uh, check out your guys' YouTube channel and follow you on Instagram and stuff like that. So can you tell us a little bit about Rhode Island Whitetails?
1: Sure. Um, we started like just a couple years ago. Um, me, my background personally, just quickly, I, I went to school for film, film and media. So my degree was in awesome uh, from the university of Rhode Island. So, you know, that's why I love to make videos. Yeah. Um, And and for years and years, me and Dan growing up all through high school and even a few years before that, we would always go out and film our hunts, but I never did anything with them. We never put any videos together. We just have archives of footage. And finally, we're like, we put our foot down, you know, let's actually do something with this. And yeah, around Whitetails was born, and uh, and we love making videos now. So. You can find us on YouTube at Rhode Island Whitetails or you just type in, you know, Rhode Island hunting or even just search Rhode Island Whitetails. We'll come up. um, And, you know, I think my personal, my favorite thing about our channel is actually our logo. Uh, We came up with that logo. uh, That's a pretty
0: cool logo. It is cool. The state of
1: Rhode Island with, uh, you know, the of branching off. It looks like the outline of the state has a little spin to it. So find our logo uh, and you'll you'll be able to find us also on Instagram, Rhode Island Whitetails.
0: Yep. Yep, for sure. And it is very much so worth following these guys. They put together really good quality videos. Um, they kill beautiful deer, find a lot of sheds, and uh, all in this state that's been totally flying under the radar for all this time. So if we have any New England listeners right now, uh, make sure you uh, you guys give their their page a follow. And, and even if you're not from New England, um, give them a follow just to see what... what uh, hunting is like deer deer hunting and deer culture and and shed hunting is like on the other side of the of the uh, continent there on the east coast so make sure you guys do that do you guys have any uh, merch coming out anytime soon
1: we had a good run of hats that were we're coming out we just don't have any sort of like online store yet so everything was kind of done just through like messaging on instagram sure um, and, and stuff like that um but i think Our plan for next year is to get a little, you know, shopping cart, an online shopping cart set up, so you know someone could buy a hat if they wanted to. But um, if you're interested, we got stickers coming, so you know, just look out on our Instagram if you guys are interested in a hat. You know, feel free to direct message us and we can work something out if you're interested.
0: Perfect. Make sure you guys get into the show notes follow those links that I'm leaving for you. Head over to Rhode Island Whitetails on Instagram, Rhode Island Whitetails on YouTube, and uh, give those guys a follow, interact with them. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you and uh, make sure you, uh, uh, Give them a subscribe, like their videos. That's all encouraging to to us people who uh, put this stuff out there. and And uh, the best part of it is you get to enjoy it for free. So make sure you uh, you check them out. Please also don't forget about Brandon, even though he's not here again tonight. We're gonna have to like kind of get on Brandon. You know he's been uh, he's been absent a lot lately. You know there must be like something else that goes on in his life other than first gen hunter. But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, we still love Brandon, and we love him so much that I'm going to tell you to make sure you head over to the huntfishlife.com and uh, you can check out their merchandise store get some hats sweatshirts t-shirts whatever you need there huntfishlife and uh, also get it on their uh, facebook page and instagram page and interact with them too i know they love hearing from anyone that follows them and when you're done checking out uh, Rhode Island Whitetails and Hunt Fish Life, make sure you head over to firstgenhunter.com and uh, check out all the content that I have there for you. Uh, not just podcasts, but videos and uh, some articles and things like that. And uh, still working on the store, getting closer. Sales tax is such a confusing thing for uh, e-commerce. And so uh, I'm working through that, talking to CPAs and different uh, groups out there to try and get that all, all uh up and legal and everything else so uh, it's coming soon people I do have some uh, stuff lined up for that but uh, when when it's there uh, I'll, I'll be sure to let you guys know but yeah head over to firstgenhunter.com and then also there you'll find links to my Instagram and Facebook pages as well as uh, my go wild account as well and make sure you get on go wild this is a wonderful outdoor community to be a part of you can really custom tune that to uh, uh, what you, uh, what you uh, need for yourself there And, uh, you know, until next time, maybe you're shed hunting, maybe you're getting ready for turkey season, whatever you're doing, while you're making those plans, be sure to take care and take someone hunting.